Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining us today is President and Financial Advisor at Envoy Wealth Management, Chris Janata. Thank you for joining me, Chris. Thanks for having me, Amy. Appreciate it. Looking forward to our listeners being entertained and educated by you today. So I really appreciate you giving us some time. Let's start with my favorite first question, which is how did you find yourself in the financial services industry? Everybody's journey is different and we want to hear yours. Sure. Well, uh, like a lot of your previous guests, uh, I have to say that I kind of found my way in by accident. I, I came out of college um, right basically at the end of the Great Recession. So, you know, people with 20, 30 years of experience were having trouble finding jobs, let alone me fresh out of school. So, believe it or not, a, my, an advisor that worked with my family for, he, he, my grandfather was a client of his for 30, 35 years at that point. He was making the transition from a wirehouse to the independent channel. And he needed someone to help him in that transition. So he knew I was out of school and you know looking for work. He said, well, why don't you come join me for like 30 days? You'll stuff some envelopes, you'll do some filing. You're just gonna help me get my office set up. And then you, know, you can go on to whatever else you were looking for. And I thought, hey, you know, why not? A couple bucks in my pocket. Sure, sounds good. So I did that. And I ended up staying there for four and a half years before moving on to my my next place. So um, I really did learn the business from the ground up. Um, Like I said, stuffing envelopes, getting him coffee, uh, you know, the whole nine yards, literally from the bottom. And then it was answering client phone calls. And then it was, you know, doing account paperwork. And then it was, you know, account maintenance. And I just kept doing more and more. And after about a year or so, I got my seven and 63 and my insurance licenses and all that. And that's when I started kind of, it, it, it was, he wanted me to help him service his book, but there wasn't a big push for me to grow my own. Whereas I kind of wanted to do both. So after about four and a half years, that became a situation that I wanted to move on from. So I did. And then basically over the next two, three years, I bounced to two other, I'm using air quotes right now for your listeners who can't see, but senior partners where, you know, I was always the discussion of the succession plan and, and, you know, this, that, and the other. And, you know, that those don't always work out for various reasons. So, and of course those didn't. So in 2017, I was still with a previous broker dealer, unfortunately, but, uh, one of that that third situation had come to an end and I was talking with my chief compliance officer and he said oh you know don't worry we're going to find somewhere we're going to find another office to stick you in it's going to be great you know just give me a couple of weeks I said uh how about this and at this point Amy I, I'm not going to lie I was tired so I said here here are the, the two options we're going to do we're going to go one of these two ways either you're going to let me LLC start my own practice so I can build my book my way, or you can fire me and I'll go somewhere that will. Now, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I'm fired. I'm going to hang up this phone. I'm, I'm gone. That's that. And there was a couple seconds of silence before he said, all right, go ahead. And I was like, wait, what? That was a Friday afternoon at like three, four o'clock that phone call happened. Over that weekend, I went, 
I started the LLC, you know, I fired up the business, I got everything rolling. And that was in October of 17. And that was the birth of Envoy Wealth Management. And I've been building and growing it ever since. And then starting in the beginning, literally the beginning of 2019, I think January 2nd, the paperwork went through is when I joined Cambridge and the rest so far is history. We're so fortunate to have you. And that's an exciting story. Very entrepreneurial. I have a couple of follow-up questions. Please. Let's go back to the first four and a half years or the beginning, if you will. What was the magical moment, if you can remember? So one day to four and a half years can fly by. No one knows better than me after having been in this business for 35 years where you don't really know that that much Mm -hmm. time is passing, but you're doing what you love. But can you identify a magical moment in that in the beginning? Because nobody just goes and takes a series seven for fun. So probably before (laughs) that, what was it that made you realize that this was what you wanted to do? Uh, I would have to give that up to the clients. Uh, It was really them, you know, talking to them on the phone, interacting with them when they were in the office for meetings. You know, they were, they were very good to me. You know, they, they knew, you know, here's the kid. He's, you know, he's you know, learning, whatever. But they were all very nice to me. And the way we were able to, you know, do this kind of work for them and help them out um, and to see how, you know, grateful they were for that. It, and, and quite frankly, to see how much they needed this help sometimes. That just kind of drew me to it because I'm a helper. Like if I see someone that needs help, if I see something that, you know, needs attention, I like just grabbing the bull by the horns and jumping in. So, you know, it, that, that drew me to it. And just the relationships you build with people, it, it made you want to continue doing that. And I ended up actually continuing to do that. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for spending a little bit more time there. All right. So my second follow-up question to the beginning mm-hmm. of your story or a little further down the road, yeah. actually As you were just talking about your experiences, I realized that we spend a lot of time in our industry talking to the senior advisor about why a success, to use your word, why a succession plan doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And probably, if I'm being honest, nine times out of 10, it's the fault of the successor, right? They just couldn't afford it. Maybe they, they didn't treat my clients the way they, or they wanted to go do something different. I mean, I've heard a lot of, of, of reasons. You're absolutely right. Um, I would say probably 75% of the time, the first planned succession arrangement fails mm-hmm. in almost every relationship because it's not an easy thing to do. But maybe share your perspective from the successor's standpoint. I don't know that we spend a lot of time talking to you enough about what could be done differently to make that more of a success. And I'm not I'm not trying to get into like finger pointing at the people that it didn't work out with, but just bigger picture, is there something we can learn from your experiences? I think there's a perspective out there that, you know, it it needs to be treated like a partnership from day one. And oftentimes when a younger advisor joins a senior partner's office, there is a, I don't want to say a resentment because it, it might not be that, but, you know, I feel like there's always this feeling of, oh, well, you know, maybe this guy's just here to, you know, take my book or, you know, there's, you know, questions of intentions as to why you're really here. 
Whereas really for the younger advisor, it was, it's an opportunity. Like it's so hard, especially in our industry, you know this, um, for younger advisors to come across really good opportunities. So when you do, you have to be eager and you've got to grab those by the horns and, and you got to capitalize them on, capitalize on them as best you can. Um, but sometimes that eagerness can be viewed by the senior as being over eager. And, you know, maybe you're, you're just there to, you know, come in and just, you know, start, start collecting all you can. Um, and I, I, now having a couple of years in the business, I can understand, you know, where that perspective can come from. And I respect that. You don't want to just hand over the keys to everything you've worked so hard building for the past 20, 30 years. I completely get that. But if there's a little bit more nod to a partnership instead of a me versus him, me versus her, uh, then, you know, I think that would go a long way to kind of smoothing things, smoothing things over. Good advice. Thank you for sharing. Interesting question that we may have to give some more thought to. I think that's great. I also read that growing up, you dreamed of becoming a director of Hollywood films. Interesting yep. segue into our business, if that was your dream. But how yeah. does one go from filmmaking to financial services? What was the thought process there? Or did you really give it up? Do you have a hobby on the side in that old dream era that you still foster? When I was little, I loved the movies. I really did. Um, my dream specifically was to be, <clears throat> excuse me, my dream was specifically to be the next Steven Spielberg. I was just a big fan of anything he put out. And uh, it you know, I, I, I would write scripts and I would, you know, hire family members as the actors and I would, you know, produce these things and I would take my mom's probably $500 camcorder back in the day and, you know, use this to make little home movies. They were like five minutes long, but, uh, you know, they're Academy Award winners in my, in my opinion. So um, it was never something that like I pursued in education or training or anything like that. But if I really sit down and think about it, um, think of what a Hollywood director does. They watch these plans play out while sitting just off to the sideline behind the camera, involved but not visibly in it. Uh, and then, you know, they can call a timeout and, you know, do some yelling, make some adjustments and, you know, make improve the final product. So if you think about it, there's actually a lot of parallels to being a Hollywood director and being a financial advisor because that isn't that kind of what we do. We will, we're in our clients' lives. We're watching from just outside the picture. And if we need to call a timeout, maybe sit down, call a meeting, say, hey, you know, we're looking at this. this you know, you might need some changes here, or I have some ideas here. You can improve the final product for the client. So I, I think I'm doing the same work. I just kind of transferred industries. Interesting analogy for sure. Um, I'll have to give that some thought. <laughs> I still think, you know, chasing dreams is a good thing. So figuring out, you know, you figuring out a way to take the skills and the the uh, efforts that you thought you were interested in and converting them to your life today is really cool. Well, if I if I can turn it into some video content for, you know, marketing purposes or client educational purposes, maybe there's still a little uh, something to be said there. Anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. Before we go any further, Chris, talk about the structure, the business structure of Envoy. Like, do you have a team around you? Have you thought about succession planning? I know you're still very young, but unfortunately, it's a good thing for everybody to think about, regardless of what age they are. Things do happen. Have you given it any thought, and do you have some ideas of what you want your business to look like? 
Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you, I think you have to these days. Um, so to start off, I am a full solo. Uh, I don't even have any staff. It's me, myself, and I. So all three of us on a daily basis. Sometimes we don't all get along very well, but we make it happen. And for what I want it to look like, I would like to grow on Boy in the future. Um, I would like to have staff. I would like to bring on other advisors. I would like to turn it into, I don't know if I would say a full enterprise, but I would definitely like to grow the branch. Um, you know, all these things can be explored in the future, but um, leaving my options very open and very flexible to that. Um, I don't want to remain a solo forever. I don't, while it's great to get going, I think it would, uh, you know, just facilitate further growth and a future succession plan of my own, you know, if there were other people here in the office with me. So that's definitely goals of mine in the five to 10 year out range, but uh, I am working toward that, sure. For the succession plan itself, like I said, that would be a big part of it. But as for, you know, me thinking of my own, it's hard right now as a solo because, you know, who do you give it to? My wife is not anywhere. She wants nothing to do with financial services. She's in healthcare. She looks at what I do and goes, whoa, and I, vice versa with what she does. She's in the operating room all day. So I, I, I can't understand how she does what she does. And she doesn't understand how I do what I do. So it's like, okay, well, we'll just keep those two separate. Um, but, you know, it's, it's definitely probably going to be something uh, that I need to investigate further in the future. Yeah, I, I think the reason I ask is it's um, as we continue our conversation, it just helps the listeners kind of identify the similarities or differences in what they might be building or how they might be running their business. There's no right or sure. wrong, but sure. I do think at some point I agree with you that succession uh, warrants some sort of collaborative partnering just out of necessity. Don't right. Don't get me wrong. There are solos who just solo it right up until the end and then they sell the business. So it can, it can work, but um, I'm glad you're right. thinking about it. Back to your bio, you also state that you're an educator and a comedian at heart. So you teach clients and you make them laugh, which I love. Yep. How does that approach help you relate to your clients and how do those two characteristics come into play when you're onboarding new clients? So anytime you can relate to a prospect or a client, I think just all the better for you. Um, the thing about what we do to 95% of the general public, it's so boring. They are not super involved and super, they, they know what they want the end, their end goals to be. And they know they're going to have to do some work to get there. But, you know, if you get in too technical and into the weeds with them, the eyes glaze over and you know how it goes. So you need to keep the people involved. And if just talking to them like they're humans, crack a joke now and then, you know, it, this meeting with your financial advisor shouldn't, people equate it to like going to the dentist or something. And like, I don't know, maybe you love or hate the dentist, but I don't want people to think, oh, man, we got to meet with Chris later today. You know, it's, oh, I don't want to do this. I want them to look forward to meeting with me because it's just going to make better communication. It's going to make better outcomes for, frankly, both of us. So to be able to connect with them on that level and to make it conversational and, and to be able to have that relationship built up sure doesn't hurt. And um, as far as the education goes, I would say I'm, I think I'm a teacher at heart. I have those genes in me. Both of my grandparents on my father's side were teachers. My, my grandfather taught biology for 36 years 
at, uh, at the high school level. Uh, my grandmother was one of the first female speech pathologists to make it out of the University of Illinois speech pathology program. So she did that for her, her entire career. And so they're always, you know, working with kids, building up kids, teaching. Um, so I think I, I inherited that gene from them. And I try to incorporate it in my work because um, something you something else you might have seen in the bio. I hate sales. I don't think of myself as a salesman. I know a lot of people in our industry will will hear that and kind of roll their eyes and go, well, that's what we do. We're selling X, we're selling Y. We're, at the very least, we're selling ourselves. I've heard that before too, but I don't think of myself as a salesman. I think of myself as an educator. It is my job to educate the client on what their potential outcomes may be, give them the options, and then I help them make that decision. I'm, you know, I'm not there to dictate, I'm not there to command for them, and I'm certainly not there to just sell them stuff because that's not gonna get them anywhere at the end of the day. So I come from a place of education. Uh, if they walk out of my office with a smile on their face and they learn something new, maybe even a couple something news, uh, then I've done my job. There's a lot, it's a very common correlation between financial professionals, at least here at Cambridge, but I think in the industry overall, at least the independent side and education. So you're not alone. I do think it makes a lot of sense. It's part of why you're independent so that you can do that and you're not just pushing product. So talk about how you communicate with your clients. How are you having these meetings? Did the last couple of years change that approach? How are you doing it before versus now? Are you doing it virtually? Are you doing it in person? A combination? Leave it up to the client? Uh, most of it's a, com it's a combination. I mean, before the pandemic, it was all, you know, it was either in-person, phone, or, you know, the occasional email back and forth. Zoom and, and, you know, all these other online meeting platforms have made it so much easier to just, oh, you, you know, you, you just want to jump online real quick. We can pound this out in, in five, 10 minutes. Okay, great. They don't have to drive in. They don't have to get a babysitter. They don't have to, you know, whatever. Uh, so we can make that very quick and easy for them. So I am doing a lot more online. Uh, it helps me too, because I'm, a, I'm hybrid myself. I have an office location, but I still, you know, I, I was working from home when before working from home was cool. So I'm able to pick what office I need to be in that day. And, you know, uh, if I'm seeing people in person, I go to the office. If I can do it from Zoom or, you know, another way, then, then I can handle it from home. So having that flexibility there has helped me reach some of my clients in new ways. Um, for instance, I have a client who lives in, like I'm in Northwest Indiana, like not far from Chicago. I had a client or have a client in South, um, in San Diego. And we always had, you know, our meetings over the phone, but we had never had an in-person meeting. Zoom made it possible for me to finally sit at a desk and be face to face face to face with her and, and have a meeting. And she just enjoyed the heck out of that. And frankly, I did too. So it, I know we all kind of think back on the pandemic and go, oh, you know, you, you get that, that kind of uh, that re that negative reaction, but uh, being able to, to interact with clients in this kind of new way was a huge positive, I think for us. Great example. In fact, I think you're right. It opens up the possibility for financial professionals more than ever to serve clients all over the country that are just a good fit. 
instead of regional, should they choose to. Correct. I, and I have clients from coast to coast. And uh, as much as I'd love to just get on a plane and, and just start, uh, you know, going to see everyone every couple of weeks, uh, you know, Zoom's probably a little more efficient. So that's... Other than, I don't know, San Diego doesn't sound so bad in the winter. No, it doesn't. And <laughs> neither does some of my Florida or, uh, or uh, not for, uh, South Carolina, some of my old Georgia clients, uh, Texas. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't mind being down there instead of uh, Northwest Indiana come January. It could be strategic. We'll set that exactly. aside and let you figure that out. Exactly. <laughs> Chris, I also want to thank you for your participation in Cambridge's New Century Council and our Practice Management Council. Heavy lift being on two of them, so thank you. The feedback we get from our councils is so important to our culture, as you probably know. Hopefully you felt mm -hmm. that your feedback was listened to and um, genuinely valued. Can you share some examples of how you've worked with your peers on these councils and how you collaborate with our Cambridge leaders and teams? Sure. Uh, first off, thank you for having me on two advisory councils. Um, you, you know, it, it's, I think I've said this to you before in person, but I'll say it again and I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. Some of the previous broker deals I've been with, you don't have these kind of opportunities to give feedback. You know, where they're not looking to collect this kind of information, or if they are, they're not doing it from guys like me. They're doing it from, they're taking this information from maybe their top 10, 20 advisors, and that's it. Uh, Cambridge is extremely different in the fact that, you know, they're open to, to bringing in anyone who wants to, to help or to share their opinion or to, to work on a particular aspect of, of, you know, how Cambridge is going to handle the industry moving forward. So that's why New Century spoke to me uh, initially, and that was the first one I joined. Uh, that was a little over three years ago now. I just started my second term, and then I just began my first term on practice management just uh, about a month ago. So looking forward to that. As for working with folks on it, um, it, it it's interesting. You you join with the anticipation that you know you're the the help is going to be one directional. You're going to be providing feedback to Cambridge, and that's going to be that. Uh, you learn very quickly that that's not the case. You learn about yourself. You learn about your business. You learn ways that you know maybe you can um, bring something back and and put that to work in your practice today. Let alone you know the the five ten years out that New Century will focus on. Uh, practice management, same way. So in working with the, you know, your, your fellow advisors, it's just, it, it's building more relationships. It's bringing stuff back to your practice. It's give, giving tips to them so they can take stuff back to their practice. Um, and then it's phenomenal working with Cambridge leadership, again, because you guys are so open to taking our feedback. Like I said, not only is it um, welcomed, it's, or not only is it expected, it's encouraged. So um, I'm very appreciative that I am at a place where that is that way, because uh, there were places in the past where nobody gave, you know, one rat's backside about what my opinion was about anything. So, and I'm a talker. So in case you, uh, you know, didn't pick up on that, um, if someone's going to ask me for my opinion, I'm probably pretty happy to give it. So uh, it's, it's been great. I'm, I'm, I really enjoy my work on both councils. Good. Well, we love it. I like to say a lot of our, almost all of our um, company has been designed by advisors, built by Cambridge. 
Um, and it's worked for us so far. So we're going to continue that journey for sure. And you brought up a what I used to call a side benefit, which is these creations of relationships amongst different financial professionals. It's really not a side that that creation of community has gone from being a side benefit, perhaps to being like a significant advantage. It would be interesting. In fact, I'm going to make a note and see if I can figure out how to do this to track the growth rates of those that are involved in our any of our councils sure. versus the growth rates of those who are not in some way, shape, or form. I think what we do know for a fact is that engagement overall, the growth rates of any advisor that's engaged with us, whether it be in a, attending our events or joining our councils, we know tends to be more successful and, and they grow at a faster pace, assuming growth is one of their initiatives. Um, sure. But it, the councils themselves might be an interesting because it's more of an intimate group than going to a big event with thousands of other Cambridge professionals and these relationships really get forged. So I'm glad sure. you're experiencing that benefit. That's great. Yeah, it really is. Because I mean, it's I've heard said before that, you know, going to, you know, these Cambridge events, it's it's not a conference. It's more like a family reunion. Um, and then when you're in these conference or when you're in these uh, advisory councils and, and things, it just it just accelerates that that path for you even more. So when you show up to ignite in you know September or whenever we host it, um, you know you're running into you know people that usually monthly you'll meet with on Zoom, but then you get to see them in person for the first or second time that year, and uh, it really does it becomes more than just like they say the family reunion instead of just uh, you know walking in and, and just you know, going to the sessions. So it definitely makes it more enjoyable. Good, good. I'm glad to hear that. And thank you again for your contributions. So I'm excited to tell our listeners if they don't already know it, because we announced it when it happened. But in 2022, you were named one of Investment News 40 Under 40 honorees. Cambridge was very honored to have uh, you be represent us on that uh, esteemed list. So congratulations. Thank you. What have you learned from that experience? And what advice do you have for young professionals who may be thinking of our noble industry as a career? What did I, I, from that experience, I really learned, well, first I learned that I'm not snake bitten and I can win things. Um, <laughs> I, I was the kid who never even won a goldfish at the state fair. So like I was, I'm, I'm not the the guy who wins things. But, oh, I'm glad we could uh, do that too. That's great. Yeah, right. That's so. When I got that email, I was like, "This is this is a spam email, right? Like, this isn't legit." It was, um, but it, I would say, you know, you know, if I'm if I'm gonna get maybe a little deep here, I would say the thing I learned from it is that you don't have to be, you know, the guy in the industry with 30 years. You don't have to be the guy in the industry with you know 500 million under management to make a difference in the industry or in your world that gets noticed. Um, you know, I'm, I'm frankly, I'm not the biggest producer here and not by far, but it, it was still nice to see that, you know, the, the industry is looking for, uh, is looking to reward metrics other than just, you know, maybe a client number or an AUM number. So I thought that was, uh, you know, that, that knocked me back. I was very humbled by that uh, award, uh, receiving that award with, uh, uh, with uh, Megan and uh, Andrea and uh, 
and you know, Seth is a, a former winner himself. And then, uh, if I may, uh, also we did Cambridge as a whole did very well uh, with uh, Investment News Awards as with your Lifetime Achievement Award from them toward the end of the year. So, congratulations right back to you. Um, so, you know, we did very well. It was good to see. Um, but yeah, that's that's to to see that our industry is starting to look at more than just hard numbers. Um, that that was very uh, rewarding for me. Yeah, that's great. I think it's important. That's the, the old people like me, we would say we need to recognize the movers and shakers before they appear to be movers and shakers because they're starting that journey already. So sure. Um, I mean, and if I can keep this up for because I'm, you know, cards on the table, I'm 38. So, you know, I have do I have 30, 35, 40 more years in this business? Maybe. I, I think I can do a lot more good in this industry and even outside of the industry in that time. So um, if this is kind of the, the little um, nugget that starts it all, I'm completely okay with that. And what about um, advice? What kind of advice for young people who may be thinking about starting a career in our industry? Uh, my advice is learn as much as you can. You know, um, if you get an opportunity to come in you know, take that opportunity, learn what you can from every level. Don't expect to come in at the top. It's not going to happen. Uh, your first few years are going to be not awesome, probably. Let's, you know, again, cards on the table. Mine sure wasn't. I, it was probably seven years in the industry before I really felt like, you know, I could take a deep breath and, and you know, relax and, and you know, start, you know, really pushing. But um, and that's something that our industry can look to improve as well. Um, that's a whole, that, that could be a whole episode in and of itself, but, um, you know, just learn what you can be humble and then just, just capitalize make, build the relationships. Uh, one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given by, uh, an older advisor. And I met him at like a restaurant, like it was like a, a meeting, a wholesaler had a meeting for local advisors and, and I was in the habit, one of my old branch managers got me in the habit of asking experienced advisors, hey, how did you get your start in this business? How did you grow from zero when you were in my shoes? And I got a lot of answers that were helpful. And I got a couple answers that were not helpful, um, you know, just because of the times. I had guys who said, oh, well, you know, in 1982, uh, you know, there was a line out my door on Saturday morning. People were coming in to buy 16% treasuries. And I was like, okay, that's great. Uh, in 2010, that doesn't really help me, but okay, thanks for you know that that little piece there. Um, but one of the best pieces of advice I ever got, a uh, guy looked me dead in the eye and he said, STP. I, said, ST I was like, the motor oil? What does Richard Petty have to do with me building my business? He's like, no, STP. See the people, see the people, see the people. And I went, ah, okay, I get that now. So it's really just, you know, um, take that, interpret that however you want to, but, you know, you got to be out there. You got to be seeing people, shaking hands. You know, I'll stop short of the, the old politician's adage of, you know, it's uh, smiling, shaking hands and kissing babies. But I mean, yeah, you got to be out there meeting people because if you're not, you're not going to grow your business by sitting at your desk. So uh, if you can get a couple of those things and, and make it those few early tough years, I 
make it that five years and you will be successful in this business. Good advice and a great transition, might I say, to my next question for you. I know spending time in your community and having an impact is a big part of your life. Tell our listeners what community means to you and what are some of the ways that you stay involved? Community is huge. Community is everything. Um, you need to have that support around you and you need to be able to give that support right back to the community. Um, so you got to find ways to, to give back. Uh, it's funny that uh, you bring this up a couple weeks ago as one of my, I'm starting RPM this year, uh, real practice management. You've discussed it in your previous episode, so I won't bore your listeners with uh, another redo of that. But um, so I'm starting that this year. And one of my first exercises was getting some uh, descriptive words from people close to you about either me or my practice. So naturally, I took one of the easy way out. And one of my five people, I asked my wife, and one of the terms she came up with was serial volunteer. <laughs> and I kind of looked at her and I was like, what? That's, then I started thinking about it. I was like, oh, well, okay, maybe. See the people, see the people, see the people. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, if, if I'm not seeing the people working, I'm seeing the people that, for volunteering. So um, some ways that I do it, uh, I'm on two different nonprofit boards. Uh, I'm actually president of both. I just became president of the second one a couple months ago and uh, president of the first couple years ago. One is a small nonprofit in Northern Illinois uh, focused on uh, providing support to children with epilepsy and their immediate families. That was started by a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine. Uh, he, had a, uh, he has a daughter with epilepsy and they were getting support from several services in their area. And eventually one of those big supports failed and went under. And he and his wife said, well, we, we think we can do this better. So they started a nonprofit and he calls me one day and this guy's like a, a big brother to me. So he just, he picks up the phone, he calls me. He's like, hey, I'm starting a nonprofit. I need a board of directors, but I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, you're on a board. So congratulations. You're joining my board now too. I went, I'm what? So um, I became his vice president just to kind of help him along. And unfortunately, a few months after he uh, started uh, the, the group, uh, he was very quickly diagnosed with stage four cancer out of nowhere. And a few weeks later, he passed. So all of a sudden, the board said, well, if, if he picked you to fill in temporarily, we're going to pick you to fill in permanently. And I went, okay. So, so that's how I became president of that one. Um, but it, it's, a, it's a just cause. So it's, it's uh, you know, we'll carry that on for him. Uh, the other board is actually one, it's a, a historical society. And it's, I didn't know this at the time when I joined them in 2017, but my grandfather was on this exact same board back in the 80s as one of the founding board, very early founding board members. I didn't know that when I volunteered. I just saw that they, you know, needed some volunteers and some help. And, uh, you know, I, I just kind of said, okay, I'll show up because I, that town was very important to my grandparents uh, and for, for many reasons. So, like, hey, did you know Ray was on the, our board 40 years ago? No idea, but so when my grandma hurt, my grandfather passed a long time ago, back in 04, but my grandmother is still alive. So when she heard that I had joined the same board he was on, that it, I guess she got a little 
teary-eyed about it. So, uh, so there's that. Uh, I also do a lot of work with my alma mater, Northern Illinois University. Uh, Pre-pandemic, I was going up to campus a couple times a year to mentor some college students, um, basically getting them to a, a point where they could sit down with someone. And it was like a mock networking event, basically, if I could describe it, because these kids are great with things on their phone and on their computer. Then you put them in person with someone and all of a sudden it's just like, Ugh. so we're trying to, you know, give them little three, five minute spiels and just having them come out of their shell and gain some confidence so that when they're in the workforce, then they can do these kind of things with, uh, with a little more confidence behind them. Uh, I also do a lot of scholarship review for Northern Illinois. Uh, just recently, uh, last month, I helped them review 900 scholarship applications uh, that had to be whittled down to 10 recipients for their, their presidential uh, scholarship award, which is basically their, um, what they call their, their full ride. So that was uh, interesting to go through those and, and read, you know, some backstories from all these students. Uh, and then I also do some scholarship review for Life Happens, the, uh, the life insurance nonprofit, as well as uh, the SIFMA Foundation, who uses the stock market game through InvestRight to, for junior high kids and high school kids to start learning about the stock market. And uh, they write a little essay while in class and they need advisors to you know, step in and review these and for accuracy and whatever. And then kids win a scholarship if they win. So um, yeah, th there's, there's a lot of different ways where you know, when people think volunteering, you think, oh, I'm gonna go to some soup kitchen and I'm gonna you know, scoop mashed potatoes onto a plate. Yeah, you can do that, don't get me wrong, but you know, there's other ways where you, know, you can give back as well. So um, you know, I'm, I'm very diverse and I'm kind of you know, a, a little bit all over the place, but uh, I enjoy the ways I'm able to help out and hope to continue doing so for a long time. That's fantastic. Very inspirational. And I certainly hope I see why your wife gave you those words when she was trying to describe you. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I do now too. I probably do now too. Yeah. You are busy. You are definitely busy, but very inspirational. Those are really, I agree with you, very diverse ways of giving back in a lot of different ways and figuring out what's important to you and where you want to spend your time. So Sure. Good role model. Chris, is there Thanks. anything I haven't asked you today that you think is important for our listeners to hear? Uh, I, I mean, uh, if, if there's anything that, uh, I can think of, it's, it's just, you know, uh, constantly thinking of ways we can be moving our industry forward, you know, through new century, we're working on a lot of this stuff right now in practice management, same way, you know, there's, there's always going to be something new coming along, whether it's, um, tailwinds or headwinds and, uh, us having a plan to, to, fight it off and, and, or, or to bring it in and embrace it in whichever way it is. And, uh, and, you know, just make our industry better to, uh, you know, to take down some barriers of entry for, for younger advisors or people switching into our industry or, or, you know, uh, creating a more diverse base of advice for, you know, folks who, uh, uh, you know, seek it, you know, everyone, everyone out there needs access to quality financial advice. And it's our job to figure out how we pull that off. And uh, I'm proud that, you know, Cambridge is a leader in that position where, you know, we're working together, you know, home office and the advisor force, we're working together and pulling the rope in the same direction. So um, 
that's that's you know really a big focus of mine and it's of yours too absolutely well said i couldn't have said it better thank you for joining us today and i know that i will be somewhere in a nursing home someday looking back still looking into Cambridge saying, I knew him when. Um, <laughs> congratulations on your current success, but I'm definitely confident that you are a great example of Cambridge Stronger and you've got a long ways to go. So thanks for being a part of our family. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. We are Cambridge Stronger.